Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of This Korean Life. Today's podcast is brought to you by We Hope. This Saturday night, October 19th, snatch your people up, grab your kids who are over 19, grab your wives and your husbands, uh, because it's We Hope's biggest fundraiser for the year. Proceeds go towards We Hope's programs, which serve the underprivileged youth in the Ulsan community, with a majority of the funds being raised going towards the Orphanage Christmas Party. This is the eighth year of the poker run, and We Hope hopes to see you out this Saturday, October 19th. If you'd like to participate, you can contact We Hope uh, through Facebook at We Hope Korea or on Instagram at We Hope Korea. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit the We Hope website at www.wehopekorea.org. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by ESL Hacker, the best new ESL website for uh, all of your ESL resource needs. ESL Hacker is dedicated to making creative classroom content. ESL Hacker provides classroom materials to help you conduct a more exciting, dynamic, and engaging class. Do you need a lesson plan on the fly? Do you want to make next Friday's class very memorable? Check out the market on the webpage, eslhacker.com, for some options. Uh, you can check them out on Instagram or at Facebook at ESL Hacker. Today's episode features the one and only Nicole Sharkey. She was a teacher here in Ulsan a few years back. She's a young go-getter with a passion for travel, adventure, her puppy, and life in general. Uh, Nicole's optimism is infectious, and coupled with her hard work, it has helped her explore several foreign countries in various fields. Uh, this talk was great, but we had slight audio trouble, so it's a bit on the robotic side. Uh, we tried to remedi remedy this for over a month, hence the delay in release, but we couldn't fix it. It's still totally listenable. Enjoy, everybody. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Brian and Nate. And welcome Nicole Sharkey to This Korean Life. You were just talking about Seoul, how you'd never how you would never live there. Is it that Ulsan is so great or that Seoul is so terrible? Well, I mean I'm a little biased because I started my Korean adventure in Ulsan mm. and I actually wanted to be in Seoul. When I applied to come, I was like, I want to be in Seoul, I have friends in Seoul, it's gonna be great. Um, but then I got Ulsan and I was like, well, I mean, 1.1 million people, that's quite enough. Mm. I think it'll be fine. Um, but then like the more time that I spent here and the more that I visited Seoul, I was like, oh, Seoul is just like being in America. Like there's no challenge. It's not hard. You meet other Americans or you meet other people from other nationalities. It's liberal. It's easy. It's. No there's, challenge. Yeah, it's, there's it's nothing, nothing special about being You can there. get anything in Seoul. You want Mediterranean food? There's a place for that. Like yeah. everyone. You know, it's not difficult to find what you're looking for. And I think um, part of being abroad and part of being an expat is enjoying the challenge of being an actual expat and having to figure things out. And uh, so that's why I stayed in Ulsan as long as I did. I agree with that to some degree, but you got to say not everyone lives in Itaewon or HBC or, or these places. So the people around the outskirts or the fringes of Seoul, I mean, could be a lot more challenging for some of them. But I agree in the most part. 
Everything's a, a subway so, ride away to get anything that you need. For that's the what that's what kept it very interesting for me, and in that that constant challenge, and when when you do discover something new or something new comes, I mean, we have Costco. We're pretty spoiled now. We have Costco. We have. We, I was going to say, like, when, you, when you came, it was already a dream here. I know. Ten years before that was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. You had cheese. I've heard the stories Al and Tima has told me, like, oh, you know, like twenty years ago, the whole place, like. Like, like Samsung didn't exist. It's just rice fields. There's no that, that, yeah. that that's the part that that still it, it's so hard for me to understand. When my wife tells me when she was young, like Hyundai department store was a pig farm, and then even uh, our friend Eric, he said, "Man, I remember when I first came here, they were just clearing the land to build Lotte department store." Like I, I you can't. But even, even right here where we're sitting before the World Cup was rice paddies. Yeah, yeah that's true. and that that was only 2002, so. Yeah, not that long ago. Wild. But I think that's what makes Ulsan so interesting as well, is that it's constantly changing. And I've been gone for two years now, and I come back, and I couldn't find the Daiso in Samsung, you guys. Oh, it's gone. Uh, it moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like, it's like across from the bus terminal now. And yeah, everything I, moves every six months. I was like, oh, God, you guys, how am I going to go? I was like, there's no way they went out of business because they were like the busiest Daiso in the city, mm. but it's gone. No doubt. <laughs> Are you... I believe you're from Pittsburgh, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Are you a Pens fan? Of course I am. Get Don't out. be ridiculous. No, okay. I would never. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, pardon my ignorance, how big is Pittsburgh? I mean, I'm from a town of, well, not Thunder, Thunder Bay is about 100,000, and where I spent the last little while before I came over in Winnipeg, the outside killed, of there was probably like 4,000. He killed one of one of So 1.1 1. 1. 1 million. Don't forget about it. 1.1 1. 1 million is huge for me. But how big is Pittsburgh, just I mean, for comparison? In the metropolitan area, Pittsburgh is probably 600,000. Um, so it's like, I've always lived in cities, so it's not like it was a huge culture shock to me. Mm. But it's definitely bigger than Pittsburgh. But it has the same vibe, whereas in, it's small enough that no matter where you go, you're going to run into somebody you know. There's no hiding in Ulsan, oh. oh. in my opinion. I don't think you can hide anywhere. <laughs> which, is, you, which is strange. Eh? Not if you're a social megastar like you. <laughs> right, like, I just hide out in Oaktong for weeks on end and nobody sees me. <laughs> social megastar. She's signing, <laughs> signing autographs at the department store. Not only at Thursday parties. Oh, yeah? Is that the, is that the go-to store? That's home. Yeah? Thursday? That's, uh, you know, which makes me laugh. That's the only place in Korea that's ever like not let me in. Really? For for have or I mean we had to use our we hope cards to <laughs> to let us get in but he's like excuse me sir do you have ID like I got a bald spot in pictures of my kids does that does that count no 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 really I need your ID I'm like dude I'm 34 yeah. or last year I was 33 like that's because Shelly was bringing in the underage high school I know they just <laughs> they just started that too like when I first got here yeah. I never showed an ID now it's funny it's two years later I walked up and I was like oh they were like ID and I was like oh I know Jen and they were like yeah we know just let us stamp your hand and I was like oh great glad we're still on the same page I said, I said Jin too they didn't they weren't having any of it they weren't having any of it that's the the sharky charm how when did you come here uh, I got here in 2014. So Thursday party must have just opened around then also. Maybe, I don't yeah. I how long, I mean. Is it the long time? Gorilla, gorilla, right? Yeah, yeah. Used to, were you here for Gorilla Bar? No. That was, uh, it, it must have opened right around that time when you came, so. It was the same, same vibe. Or actually, Thursday party has more, more music, more kind of clubs. It's changed a lot, though, even in the last two years. Like, 
I remember when I used to come, there was a mix of ages. Like, I would meet people younger and older than me. Oh. But now, like... You said a mix of Asians. No, oh, okay. ages. 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 <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. All, like, there was a whole vibe of, like, you know, some people were younger, some people were older, mm. and it was great. But now, like, I go, and everyone's, like, in their early 20s, like, oh, just really out of high better. school. Like, really? Yeah. It's changed a lot. Like, of course, the foreigners are much older because we don't have a whole lot of spaces in Ulsan yeah. that we can feel comfortable in. Yeah. Oh yeah. In the dark. I have ki- I have kicked out one too many people at Thursday parties. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, leave her alone. She is too drunk. Do not touch her. Go home. Nice. Uh, what was the original draw to Thursday party? Is it the is it the three dollar Long Island Long Island ruin your ruin your weekend iced teas? You know, like fun fact, I can't drink those anymore because they're so acidic coming back up when you throw up. That's so now I, I had to switch. I can't drink them anymore. I'm not that young. I can't do it. it, it when we do the twelve bars of Christmas, it, that's always one stop. And when someone orders that, it's it's a it's a punch in the it's an acidic punch in the throat. You can't. You burp those all night. You're like, oh, it's no. horrible. And I was just like, I can't keep doing this. I can to feel it eroding the inside of my belly. Oh God. Anyways, what uh, back uh, back on track here? What you you left home? What was the reason for for leaving? Uh, you seem pretty comfortable in uh, in Pittsburgh. What was your reason for for leaving home? Yeah, I think at the time, like I I got my undergrad in political science and geography. And um, I did want to work in like an international sector of some sort. Yep. So for me, it was just getting some international experience and um, kind of having a chance to work abroad, yeah. gain some you know cross cultural communication skills, yep. um, that kind of stuff. I really had only planned to be here for a year and everyone. apply to grad school. Everyone does, yeah. Right? That's what everyone says. They come and to your Epic. hockey career took off. Yeah, yeah. Two years later, when I was like, oh yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> did you Did you play hockey at home as well? Yeah, I've been playing. I started playing hockey when I was about 12. Nice. Um, my brother's been playing since he was six. Yeah. I got, I got in a little bit later. Cool. Um, but my dad's 60. He's about, he's about to be 60 and he plays three times a week still. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty much like a family thing. Yeah. So you're pretty, uh, pretty happy when you came here and heard the, the pirates yeah. have, uh, pirates Well, I studied abroad in England and I helped start the hockey team there. No way. Um, and they go to nationals now and I'm so proud. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So it turned out really good. So I, you, you help start a women's team or a men's team? A co-ed. It's a co-ed team. It's a college team. Nice. Uh-huh. It's co-ed cool. still. Um, they're like they play in a lower division. I mean, it's England. They don't have that much representation in the ice hockey world. But no doubt, no doubt. That's uh, that's awesome. Did you you were studying in England? Yeah, I did a year abroad. Oh, through your like it's a sister through my university. Through yeah, like a matriculated year um, uh, instead of like a study abroad year where you're with everyone in your university and it's kind of like clicky and tight knit. I decided to do an exchange year where I was um, actually a matriculated student. And awesome. I lived with British students and some of them came to visit me. That's how like, no tight our hockey team was. Awesome. Here in Korea, so it was pretty fun. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Back to your coming over here. I'm just curious. How did you get? Yeah, we're jumping all over. How how did you? I'm trying to think of how I ended up here, but Epic didn't exist when I came. So how how did you know about it, or how did you apply, or how did you find Korea on the map? So it actually relates back to England really well mm. because I also played. I took up rugby in England um, as something fun to do that was new to me, and there was a Canadian girl on my rugby team who just out of college she went. Um, she was recruited by like Corvia 
uh, to yeah. go straight or like Korean Horizons. I forget which one of them is Canadian, yeah. but they like sent her over here and she ended up in Seoul. Mm. And we were talking one day and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I'm job searching. Like I'm starting my life out here. Come to Korea. I, yeah. I was like, I want to be in DC, but I'm not having any luck with the job market. And she was like, girl, you love travel. You love languages. Like you adapt really easily. Why don't you, why aren't you doing this? And I was like, that is a, very valid point. Mm-hmm. So I sat down at the table and I told my parents, hi, I'm going to move to Korea. And they're like, what? <laughs> um, but it's like, I mean, I kind of set them up. Uh, it's not, it hasn't been my first time living abroad. And yeah. so they were like kind of used to saying goodbye at this point. Yeah. So, and I was like, it'll be just be a year, just be a year. Yeah. As everyone says. I'm going on tour. <laughs> but I, I don't think, I don't think anybody knows what it's like to plan for five years or, you know, if I was going to, to Italy or, France or a Western country where I knew or Mexico, I think you could possibly plan for three or four or five years if you knew, mm-hmm. but the, te- the the contract is a one-year teaching contract. Who's planning outside of that? I'll see how it goes. I think most people would say, I'll see how it goes, and if it's good, I'll stay. If it's not, I'll move on. But yeah, definitely most are only here for a year at the beginning. Now now that you've experienced <clears throat> excuse me, living in Korea for, what, you were here for two years? No, three years. Three, you were here for three years. You've gone back home. Uh, you were in Thailand, which we'll talk about. Uh, can you, I mean, after you finish your master's back in America, can you see yourself settling down in America? Or now that you've, you've kind of been bit by the, by the international, international working bug, I guess. Can you, uh, do you see yellow yourself? fever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um. Sharky's got the fever. What's that song? <laughs> you just made that up, man. No. <laughs> Boontang boys, remember on YouTube they used to have those. Okay, I'm gonna link it to the. I'm gonna link it when we post this one. I think they're called the Boontang boys, and they used to have two or three songs. And one of them was about a military guy leaving. They say Johnny's got the fever. <laughs> okay, I'll post them for you after. Oh my gosh, follow, follow we're right both here like, um, okay, sure, Nate, go for it. Okay, um, I think that's a really hard question yeah. uh, because. When I was younger, like, I didn't really want to set down roots anywhere. I never wanted to buy a house. I was, like, I couldn't even see myself staying in one place for too long. Mm. Um, I get really antsy after a couple of years. Um, but, like, as I'm getting a little bit older and, I'm more, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about my dog. But yeah. my dog is a big part of my decision. You like dogs? Um, <laughs> yeah, they're all right, I guess. She's a huge part of my future decisions now and, and where I'm going to end up. So, so not Korea? <laughs> and then for, fear, in the for last, fear of it getting cooked in the last couple of years man it's gotten way bad here there's like all those muzzle laws and all kinds of stuff because some random person got bit and sold right. oh, yeah, yeah. like oh it's horrible i like read these horror stories poor people who have large dogs like here i don't know how they do it because but if i remember your dog is the size of my foot oh yeah she's tiny you're right she does not have to do that she's very good at public transportation she's very portable so cool um, but I think now I'm thinking a lot more long term, like where I want to end up. I think like field, like I could see myself doing field work, but it's really hard because I want to work in like international development and, um, being like on the ground and really in the thick of things. Mm. And, you know, a lot of countries that need that kind of international development work, they're not necessarily pet friendly places. Mm. Um, so for me, I think. Now I'm thinking more setting down roots in DC and getting a job that allows me to be abroad for two to three months a year. Cool. Um, and kind of going and overseeing projects and coming back so that way, 
you know, I don't have to kind of subject my dog to like really bad yeah. <laughs> situations, but also like, you know, I can set up roots somewhere and yeah. kind of start a family, that kind Absolutely. of thing. That's what, is, what is the market like in DC for those kind of positions? It's horrible. I, <laughs> I like came here and I was like, I'm not going to talk about how horrible it is to get a job, but like. I got rejected by like three jobs yesterday and was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I This, this podcast is going to launch your career. I, God, I hope so because I have like 19 <laughs> US dollars in my bank account right now and I have to pay like $1,300 in rent every month. Oh, no. So I'm like sitting here like a little bit shitting my pants like what am I going to do? Oh, you still have your place in, you still have your place. I do, yeah. I sublet this summer because I my landlady is fantastic and she awesome. doesn't charge me dog rent, which is insane in DC. Like... They wanted to charge you like an extra hundred dollars a month just to have wow. a pet. Wow. It's out of control. And you're already paying like some of my friends are paying sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars for a studio apartment. That's stricter wow. than North Korea. It's horrible. Oh, wow, that's that's brutal. So I have a question then regarding your dog. Yeah. If uh, in the future when when your dog passes would you con- easy? Come on. We're, we're not telling. No, but but I but I think this is, I think there's a lot of people who who are in these predicaments and situations, delay getting another, because I, I know most people will get another dog right away. Would you delay that until you got settled somewhere else if you wanted to pursue that and then get another dog? Or would you get a new one right away and then keep going the way you've been? Or how does that play into your decisions? I, this is my first ever pet and I don't think I can replace her. Like, so her start was a little bit rough. She had parvo. Right, yeah, I remember. Her. She had, yeah. And Parvo, it's like um, it's like an autoimmune disease that like (laughs) right Parvo virus. So most puppies get like vaccinated for it, but she had it beforehand because she came from the shelter. Um, and so it's very expensive to treat, and her survival rate was like at five percent at one point. Yeah, no way, I remember that. Um, so it was really hard on me uh, at the beginning. Thursday party had a spike in sales that month. (laughs) (laughs) As if I like did anything but go from work. To the hospital, back to my house for like two whole months that she was like in intensive care. And I think through that, like the bond was really tight and it was like really hard to go through. And I don't know that I would do it again. Hopefully she lives a wonderful long life. She's three years old now and she's fantastic. Oh God, yeah. um, so hopefully Lots I have many more years with her. Nice. Um, but I put in a lot of time and effort with her as well. I think um, a lot of people, my cousin is watching her now. My parents had her for a few months while mm. I was traveling and then my cousin has her now for this week. And she's like, she is such a good dog. Like she's so low maintenance and so easy. And I was like, yeah, that's because I put in all the work at the beginning. No, um, so now, like, she is really good at traveling. Like, she's great on the plane. She's wonderful. She'll, like, if we have a – she has so many carrier bags because I don't drive. I've yeah. never had a driver's license. Yeah. So I rely on public transportation, like Uber in the States. And she'll jump right in the bag. She's ready to go. Like, she's so she's super portable and easy. Um, so I think in the future, you know, if there is the opportunity to travel more or live abroad, I think she would really adapt well um, because I've raised her that way. But I don't think that I don't know that I could do it with another dog. Um, it would take time. When you bring when you bring your dog on uh, on a plane, does it does your dog sit with you? Or do you yeah. have to do you have to check it out? I don't know. Depends yeah. On the size. yeah, it depends check on the size. Like she's small enough um, that she was able okay. to ride. She's able to ride in the plane. Because we we had uh, our friend who lived here before, and he sent two dogs back to Canada. Like I think before, or maybe to meet his family or someone picked it up. But it was like thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's they put really it in expensive. like a, in like a dog hotel, and they were feeding it like golden biscuits or something. And it was 
it was really expensive. I had a funny incident when I was, I just got back from Canada yesterday. Um, I had a funny incident there when I met my cousin. I was actually at her wedding and I met her in the airport in Toronto by chance. What are the chances that we were on the same flight and she was sitting right next to my wife of all the flights out of Toronto. We're going back, we're going to her wedding and she was on the same flight, same seats. And she had a dog like this. We're just in a little carrier or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a puppuccino is? Yeah, like at Starbucks. <laughs> Do you know that? A puppuccino? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's basically like whipped cream in a little cup and they serve it. Usually for free. Most places, Starbucks will give it for free. No, that's, it's not, not, that's not, not a breed of dog. dog. It's no, a, a puppuccino no, it's, it's is like, like a, a dog's fr- frappuccino. Yeah. I know, I'm not a coffee guy, but... She said, oh, I was just oh, I thought that was a dog that fit in a, fit in a cappuccino cup. <laughs> I, don't know, I, just, I didn't know. Hold on. Listen. I was <laughs> I, when you said puppuccino, the, the first thought was like, oh, it's a Starbucks. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, no. And then it's a breed of dog. And then now I'm confused. It's, <laughs> it's a drink for a dog? Yeah, it's, it's like basically it's just whipped cream like yeah. in a little, they put it in like a little Dixie cup for yeah. the dog. And uh, I mean, in Washington, D.C., that is like the dog capital of America. Do you have to like, pay for it? No, uh, most Starbucks will give it to you for free. Oh, if you okay. order a drink, they'll just include it because it. She told me her dog was having a puppuccino. I didn't know what it was until you just said that. She said something about cream, but I was like, "Your dog just eats a cup full of cream." Anyways, we ended up having lunch in the Toronto airport and grabbing a drink and catching up. I haven't seen her for probably ten years, and she, the dog started yelping out of the little carrier or whatever. So she opened a can of whatever. To me, it looked like tuna, but it was probably dog food or whatever. Jammed it in there, and the dog's dancing around in there. And then after that was done, she popped him a few gravels, and I was like, "Oh my god, this this dog's gonna be hammered on the, I mean, puppuccinos, can of tuna, gravel. He's gonna be either puking or dying or." <laughs> Anyways, the dog was quiet all the way to Thunder Bay. I mean, we were between getting on boarding and landing, and it was probably two out over two hours. The dog didn't say a word the whole whole time. So. Huh. that's wild. I just thought maybe that puppuccino works or something. The gravel was extra strong. I don't know. I never, I never realized the the bond between dog and and owner or whatever. Oh, no. uh, you know, it's. I used to criticize. We had Jeff who was on the podcast before. He was so oh, bro. I got four dogs, and he told me stories like it's his, like it's uh, you know, like they're like yeah, yeah like it's, yeah, like family. That's what they are. Yeah. And I never, I never understood it. Because growing up, we always asked my dad, Dad, we have a dog? No, no, no. We ended up settling on a cat, which, it's a cat. Animal runs around your house. Our whole life, we Dad, we have a dog? We have a dog? No, barbecue that thing. No, big animals in my house. Blah, blah. Listen, and he, as soon as I left for Korea, he gets a, what's a, St. Bernard? Oh, wow. The, like, big ones? Huge, like, the, like, it's Beethoven? Yeah. Yeah. Beethoven? It, it, it's That's my it, parents it's Beethoven. Oh, my yeah. God. It's a horse. It, we it we saw one of those in London, and it my girls swallow. thought there was a bear or a dinosaur. <laughs> Right, like they've only been in Korea, they haven't traveled right. much, and we saw two or three of them. As soon as we landed in at Hamilton and my sisters, and we saw what, the first thing the first morning we went for a walk because they weren't sleeping, and we saw this big dinosaur of a dog, and they're like bear, bear, dinosaur. And I was like, yeah, that's huge. They're massive. It's as big as the cars here. Yeah. So I mean, I was basically re- replaced with uh, with Beethoven. My dad replaced me. I went to Korea. He gets the biggest dog in the world, but. When I talk to him now, and I mean, even when we were in Canada, I was like, 
Oh, I think there's gonna be thunderstorms later. I gotta let Harley in. Oh, the look at this big baby scared of the. You know, and he he talks to it like a like a little child. I'm like that, you hated dogs growing up, and it kind of you know, and it really it grows on him, man. And even now, it. Uh, I'm asking him, why don't you go out west, go out east for a vacation? He's like, who's gonna take care of the dog? Like what? What do you mean who's gonna take care of the dogs, dude? Take it with you. Like, oh no, we don't want to stress the dog. And and kind of his life now is like revolving around the dog and i would have never you know unless he kind of fell into that i never would have believed that people can get so attached to people can get so attached to an animal isn't that wild no, no, no. but i've seen and i believe you can especially the the labs and retrievers and stuff like the hunting dogs and the friendly like you know yeah. <clears throat> i grew up in the countryside and those guys those things are very popular and i could totally imagine getting attached i the thing i never wanted was my life to revolve around the dog whether it be travel or I've seen so many people's dogs get sick and need treatments and hip replacements mm-hmm. and they cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just, like, if you're not prepared for that, I mean, that's a game changer. Your dog needs a hip. You've had them for eight, nine, ten years. Well, you might, during this, during this broadcast here, we <laughs> might, uh, you might see my neighbor Bruce. He's a, a Canadian guy. Shout out to Bruce. Where are you? Where are you? He walks a dinosaur. He, yeah, he, walks, oh, good he walks a community dinosaur around here. What was it? A black lab? Looks like it. But he's he said he has like special savings account because yeah. he knows the mm-hmm. he knows the hips go bad when the dog's mm-hmm. twelve and his dog had cancer and yeah. there's another there's how much mm-hmm. how much would you be willing to spend on is it unlimited or um yeah I think it depends on the situation like it it would definitely be. I mean, I've already spent a lot of money on my dog. Mm. Uh, she was very sick. A lot, mm. Thank God it happened in Korea. Jeez, like, in America, that kind of treatment would have cost, like, my college tuition, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, thank God she was here. Like, she got the best treatment. And I was like, it don't, It costs how much? Yeah. I mean, my friends were like, what? You paid what? But I'm sitting here like, I know how much that costs. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I've got a good deal. But I think it would just really depend on, um, like, what exactly was the problem. Like, I've talked to my parents about it as well because they're quite attached to her now. Mm. That is their grandchild. Like, yeah. it's the only one they got right now. Now. So they, my dad took her to the spa on Saturday. Like, I mean, a dog spa. Yeah, oh, good, she good. got her little facial and massage and a haircut. <laughs> nice. That's he awesome. sent me pictures. He was like, "Look, look at your princess." I was like, oh, "That's God. hilarious." I know, and he huh. told me not to get a dog. We never had pets either. But I think I talked to my parents about it. Like, what what we would do in this situation because at this point, I'm a student. Like, I would need help. I couldn't do this, but I don't even have health insurance for myself. Like, (laughs) hi, America. It sucks. Um, So it's like, I was like, what would we do? You know, and I think if it were something like a surgery that she needed or something that would elongate her life very long, great. But if it's something like cancer where, like, if you're paying all this money for chemo and she's, it's going to elongate her life like one year, I don't think, like, I could justify that kind of money. And I say that now, like, because my dog is healthy and everything's wonderful. Um, But she is, she is like my kid. Like, Mm. I put all of my love and attention into taking care of her and raising her and, um, it's only ever been me and her. Like mm. I lived alone here. I live alone in DC, yeah. and she's my like lifelong companion so yeah. far. So um, I think it's hard to say, but I definitely think that you, there's got to be. You have to decide what's the cutoff because otherwise, those vets will like manipulate you Absolutely, because there is yeah. an emotional attachment and like it's a bit. They got to run a business, right? So yeah. Exactly. And so yeah, like you want to do everything possible to help your pet, but you don't want to sewer your own life as well, right? right? Exactly. And that's even in Korea. Last year, they passed 
the dying with dignity mm-hmm. law. And since then, six, oh, was it 60,000? Yeah, maybe 60,000 people have chosen, you know what? I don't want to, you know, the same thing. I don't want to continue yeah. treatment and being sick, you know, whether it's key, use chemo for an example, you know. I don't want to slowly wither away yeah. and, and elongate my life yeah. six months and have to sell my house and sewer my family yeah. for the rest of their lives. Just let me let, let me go, you know. So that's uh, that's that's kind of catching on and, and popular here. And that was something I brought up in my classes actually last week, the, the death with dignity. And do you see um, Korea in the future doing the, what do you call it, the, the mercy, the, what do you call it? The, the, the assisted, assisted suicide, suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people were like, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong to do it. But I thought, man, if assisted suicide was, uh, was available here, don't you think the, the suicide rate would drop? Like the, the actual suicide rate would drop. Don't you think now, you know, if someone decides to jump or, or do whatever, it's kind of like a, a rebellious act or like, oh, I got But if that's an option, if you know, like, you know what, I could check out tomorrow if I want. If you have that option and it's it's a, something that's talked about, don't you think people would, maybe the, the actual suicide rate would drop and maybe it's only old people or, or terminal people. Who got, who a lot of the suicide, suicide rate here is young people. It's one of the highest countries in the world for young people yeah. committing suicide but but yeah, i don't I think that, that option would be available for young people i mean i, I usually thought that was available for elderly it should people. be it should be available for everyone but i mean i assume in the it's not like a drive-through you don't you know walk in and be like all right give me you know give me number two it's uh <laughs> no, not funny to laugh about but it's i'm sure you sit down and there's a counselor or something there you should you should talk to first well what are they is there not something at home now and it's called pre-planning your death or something. And there's I saw, yeah, it's I've called seen, save eight million dollars for your cash. I've seen commercials and advertisements on no talk about it before you get to the stage where dad's sick and two two siblings think this, one thinks this, yeah. one thinks that, and they said sit down before they they lose their mental capacity and, and plan it out and organize it so that you know exactly how it's gonna. Play I want out. the car. And yeah. then, if and you want then, the car, I want and the then house. All you have to do is go through the checklist. You don't have to fight and argue. It's already decided. It's already. Yeah. And some people say, well, that's kind of, you know, awkward to talk about ahead. But yeah, like morbid. The, but the other option, the other option could be way worse, where the whole family ends up getting in a royal rumble over it. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a a very common thing a couple of years ago. It was becoming trendy at home to discuss these things with your family and like you say with your dog and your parents and yeah. all of them i think it's important otherwise where do you decide you know my brother wants to spend a million more i'm like well he's gonna die in three months anyways so where do you draw the line and who gets the the say mom wants this my brother wants this my sister wants this i want that so but that's the that's a crazy thing in listen to this story i got a friend at home she was walking her dog tripped Bump, bumped her head, thought nothing of it, went home. She said two days later, bump, fell into a, passed out, fell into a coma. She was in, uh, she was in a coma for two weeks. And I like, I just, uh, this is the difference between Canada and America. In the, in Canada, I mean, it was totally free. Like there was no cost to keep her, to keep her alive or have her on the breathing machine. But the doctors were telling her parents, like, you know, she's probably not going to make it. She's she's doing okay now. Uh, she's probably not going to make it. And this is three or four days in. Like, there's brain activities low. After a week, they're like, yeah, you should probably consider. But she woke up, I think it was two two or three weeks, two or three weeks into mm-hmm. it. And I wonder, I mean, if you don't have insurance or mm-hmm. in people in Korea who don't have the extra 
insurance. Mm-hmm. How long do you wait? How long, you know? And, yeah. And, yeah. And, oh, I don't know. That's, it, it's such a, such a weird topic to, to bring up. But I mean, and I think... It's hard to... For, like, when you... I think when you travel a lot, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm close with my parents. Like, they know exactly what I want. Mm. Like, they know, like, if anything happens to me when I'm abroad, like, I've lived a good life. I've lived a hell of a full life for being 28 years old. Like... I, I, whatever I'm doing, like, spring chicken. I know, right? Like, yeah. I'm happy. I'm good. Like, I chose to travel. I chose to do this. Yeah. So if anything happens, like, it's going to happen. And for them not to be upset about the situation or Absolutely. they know, like, what I want. I'm not that much older than 28. And I've, I think I've also lived a full life and I've expressed the same kind of views to my parents. Mm-hmm. But it's different now with a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a vegetative state for 10 years. Just pull the plug. That's it. And let's move on. I don't want my kids to have to endure that. My wife, they say, that's so selfish. How can you think about it? Like, if there's 1% chance you wake up and get to play with your daughters again, we want to take that chance. Yeah, but I'm not going to pay $8 million and let them live in a box. But so this is the thing. Like, I, I, yeah, everyone knows I don't want to, once I'm at that stage, just let me go. But I don't think my daughters would probably agree with that and probably my wife. So, yeah, once... I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know, man. I think the my <laughs> <laughs> my wife a trip over the cord. Um, but once once married with kids, it kind of changes the dynamic. When I was young and invincible like you, I was the same thing. Just you know, burn me, spread me over the ocean. There, I'll be traveling forever and yeah, no problem. Right. But, <laughs> throw me, throw me in the tewa. Now it's <laughs> no, tewa, but now it's a little bit different. Anyways, you you recently. You've only been here a week, and you you come in from Thailand, where you were doing an internship. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me again? I sorry, I missed it. What you told me you were doing your master's in, and how you ended up in Thailand? Yeah, no worries. How was it? Um, so I am getting my master's in security policy studies um, at the George Washington University. Um, basically, what that means is kind of like international security stuff. Most of my cohort they want to be at the Department of Defense, State Department. Um, they're very military focused. Um, so I kind of don't know how I ended up there because I am the complete opposite. Like, uh, everyone in my class is like, okay, so if we want to solve the problem, like, let's just bomb them. It'll be great. And I'm over here like, okay, okay, okay. But like, but I met people from that country. Well, like, they're actually nice. What if we didn't? Like, yeah. can you imagine? And they're like, oh, everyone rolls their eyes. Like, oh God, it's her again. Like, yeah. peace studies over here. Um, but honestly, like, I'm, I'm so glad that my voice is in the room because, like, I'm really there for the human security aspect, which is just focusing on more, less of the country and more of the individual, the community, the, you know, the grassroots organizing. Um, so while I am definitely, which is often overlooked. Yeah. I'm anomaly at my school, but, um, I do think that, like, I bring a lot to the conversation. I do think that I challenge the views of my classmates because for them, like, the easy decision is just, you know, let's go to war, let's end it, or, you know, we're stronger, so obviously when you think of the security dilemma of, like, who's stronger and what is each country going to do, like, they're like, oh, we're the United States, we're going to win, and, like, that's great and wonderful, but, like, what if we're not? I wouldn't, (laughs) wouldn't, but it's also, how about you go there for a week and see and talk to the people and you go, Holy shit, I don't want to bomb here anymore. And that's the thing. The people are tell, great. tell them to push the button on a drone strike. So yeah. many of my classmates are exactly what you're saying. Like, they haven't been abroad, really. Oh, They've it. done a semester abroad. They've, you know, they're 21, just out of undergrad. And, like, that's I fine. Was... <laughs> I mean, that happens. Yeah. Like, because that's kind of the narrative that we're selling to children these days is like go to college go straight to grad school get a job then you start your I, career i followed 24. i followed i followed that too and yeah. it's it man i was pretty ignorant 
Come yeah, in here. Like, and, and like, it's not, it's not that I think my classmates are, are stupid or mm. I just think like their perspective is really narrow yeah, green. and they want to, they, they want to be the ones making, um, international security policy. They're going to be the next people at the DOD making these decisions for us, but they've never been abroad or, yeah. you know, been immersed in a culture before. So for me coming into it, I really expected to meet a lot more people like me and, I'm like, oh gosh, like you guys have, like, what do you mean you're an expert in Asia, but you've never been to Asia? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? I, I find, I find that's very common. Read the book. At, at home, yeah. Lots of it is, is read the book and I have my degree and you see it here with teaching, right? Yeah. I mean, guys who come over with education degrees or PhDs or, or masters, but you know, Jeffy has his high school degree and he's been teaching for 35 years here. I probably take him over, Yeah. you know, the, the, qualified guy anytime he's evolved with the country over 35 years the the koreans have a great proverb that would describe your classmates have you heard umuran geguri like a frog a frog in a well they they only it's it it sums up so many good situations there but (laughs) it's just a frog in a well that's all he knows is is where he's you know is where he's grown up or lived they've never they've never been outside they don't it's kind of ignorance, right? It is. And, and so, like, when I had the opportunity, like, at orientation last year around this time, I'm speaking at orientation on mm. Friday, so I know nice. it's about this time. Um, they said, the, the international education advisor came up and he said, we have um, a Freeman Foundation fellowship for students to study in Asia or, or have an internship in Asia. And that happened to be my Me. area of interest. <laughs> so I literally, like, waltzed right up to him afterwards and I was like, hello, I would like to go to South Korea and yeah. he was like oh how come and I said well I just moved back from there I lived there for three years and I miss it a lot yeah. I miss my friends I miss my life it's been really hard coming home and like not having that support system anymore and like ultimately like feeling really isolated and alone with yeah. all of my experiences and so he was like okay well let's make an appointment and talk about it so I showed up and he was like so let's unpack this a little bit like do you feel like you have unfinished business in South Korea. And the more that I thought about it, I was like... twiddling your fingers like this? Yes. I was like, well... I left that shot of tequila on the bar at Thursday party. I do. And I was like, God, I I have an unpaid tab. You know, I I really wanted to hike a couple more mountains that I didn't make. But ultimately, like career-wise, I was like, you know what? Like, Korea is easy. Korea is the easy choice. I already speak Korean. Like, I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I'm pretty good. I get by... It's comfortable. It's a comfortable language for me. Enough. Um, right. And, you know, I already have friends here. I already know what food I like. Everything just felt, I was like, it's going to be easy and I'm not going to be challenged. And how is this driving my career goals? How is this fixing, you know, my resume? How is this making me a better person? And so we were like, we talked in more in depth about what I wanted out of this internship. And for me, I wanted something where I could be in the field, like on the ground. I didn't want to be in an office. Hmm. Um, I was like, if I wanted an internship in the office, I would just go and stay in DC for the summer and get an internship working in an office, <laughs> you know? So if I'm going to go to Asia, I'm really going to commit to it. So I found the most obscure organization that I possibly could. Um, I worked this summer for the Karen Women Organization. And the Karen Women are... Um, what? Sorry, what's it called? Karen Women Organization. C-A-R-E-N. How do you spell it? K-A- like Karen. K-A-R-R-E-N. Yeah, put, a, put something over that E. The word <laughs> yeah, the Karen, Karen. Uh, which is funny because when you tell people 
people, oh, I work with the Karen. They're like, oh, Korean? And I'm like, well, I've worked with them too, <laughs> but no. Um, so I worked with the Karen Women Organization, and what they are is they are an all-women-run community-based refugee organization. And so they are about 33 to 35 years old um, at this point, and they are thriving. Basically, they offer social services um, to women and children that are vulnerable in the refugee camps, and they have also expanded into Karen State, which is Burma. Okay. Um, Myanmar, Burma, whichever uh, your country prefers. Mm. Um, but so... I knew a lot. I, I really prepared myself for this internship because I spent all last year doing a lot of research on Myanmar and figuring out, like, I knew about the Rohingya and everything like that. But, um, no, I mean, nothing could prepare you for, like, being smack dab in the middle of the jungle in Absolutely, Thailand. Yeah. Like, my town had one traffic light. Um, where, where, where were you exactly? I was in Mesaryang. Um, It is about four hours west of Chiang Mai. Okay, so up north, yeah. far, far north and way to the west. Yeah, right. So you're like almost right on the border. I worked between there as well as Maesot, which is the most famous uh, border town between uh, Burma and uh, Thailand. Um, but along there, there are seven re- refugee camps that specifically work with the Karen people. Um, and they there are people who have been in the refugee camps that have grown up their whole lives there. Sure. Um, because this is such an ongoing, like, long-term yeah. um, ethnic conflict. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity because not only did I work in an office of all women where I really felt empowered to, like, ask questions and I felt the work environment was incredible. Um, and it's rare in DC and it's rare in my field, which is male-dominated. <laughs> um, so it was wonderful to be, you know... Like here with a bunch of women who are being supportive of each other and really like working towards a common goal and they empower other women in the community. They're really big on uh, community leadership and, and building skills for women to be community leaders as well as um, leaders in the Myanmar peace process. Awesome. Um, a couple of questions. Yeah. First, were you the only Western person there? Yes. Or is it when you mentioned the offices full of women, is that mostly Thai women leading the way, or are there Burmese women there as well, or is it a mix of Western, other Asian women, or who is it? So the women are all ex-refugees, or some of them are current refugees um, that have been able to come out of the camp and work um, on these projects. They go in between um, the different refugee camps as well as Karen State. Um, and a few other, there's a few other states that they work in, um, particularly like mixed control with both Burmese and, um, the KNU, which is the Korean National Union. Um, uh, or they're both fighting for control of a lot of areas. So they work within these areas as well. Um, and there is one other woman who's been working with them for 25 years. She's from Australia. Um, her name is Jane. She's the best. Shout out to Jane. Um, she helped me the first two weeks so much, but then she ran away to Australia for her vacation uh, because she's like, well, you're here. You can take over. You'll be great. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it, it turned out wonderful. But beyond that, like, um, yeah, I was the only a Westerner, the only uh, native English speaker. And the thing about these community organizations is that, like, uh, KWO, Karen Women, they are well-funded. To be honest, they have a lot of great donors that they have built relationships with over the years. Who are they funded by? Do you know? Um, they're funded by a lot of places like the European Union runs some projects. Um, AFEDA in um, Australia um, gives them money as well as um, TBC, the Border Consortium in Thailand, uh, funds a lot of their projects. Um, Han- Handicap International, which has become like uh, HI, uh, Humanity and Inclusion. They re- rebranded recently. Cool. Um, 
So all of these people are giving them lots of um, great access to funds, but all of the reports and all of the information that they're giving to the donors has to be in English. But the their English level is not amazing. You know, it's getting harder and harder to get access to English teachers and people who, you know, speak English fluently. And they don't have that kind of money to pay uh, you know, a foreign person to come in and, and do these reports for them. Um, so that's a lot of the work that I did was donor engagement and reaching out to donors and, you know, uh, cool. updating them on the situation yeah. and, you know, putting out publications. I was in charge of social media, just trying to rebrand um, who they are and get their message out there. People don't want to be donated. We find even too with We Hope. You want, you want to follow up with, hey, you know, we're here. We want a donation. You want to follow up with... Look at the impact it's had. Right. The, Here are the case studies. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. And they have so much of this information, but it's just so hard to get it out there in English. Yeah. So does your friend Jane, does she work there full time or is she also a volunteer? She, uh, you know, Jane is a bit of a mystery, to be honest with you. Um, I'm pretty sure she does work there and she has lived in Maison full time for 25 years. Um, and she started as like an Australian Peace Corps volunteer. And so she was funded that way for many, many years. And then she was funded on another grant but i think kwo now pays um pays her but i think like because she's lived in rural thailand for so long she's been able to really budget her money and save things up so i think she's in a good place good now are the refugees there are they all burmese or or Myanmar refugees or are there some Uyghurs from china or are there other refugees as well or is it just they're all karen um as far as um the seven refugee camps towards the like northern part and up to the southern tip of Thailand. Mm. They're all Karen. And then there are two sites um, very far in the north that are Kareni, which are another um, ethnicity of uh, Burma. Mm. Wow. Unreal. So, so what was your uh, overall takeout from this experience? How You were there over three months, you said? Yeah, about two and a half months, 12 weeks. I, I, spent, I spent about six weeks in Burma, about 10 years ago now. Mm. Um, Went into Yangon and up through, uh, all the way up north, Mandalay, and yeah. um, all around up there. And it was just incredible. And it was like a time warp. Yeah, and it's untouched. It's it very was, much untouched. But now it's it's changed a lot the last five or six years. But mm-hmm. I mean, still, compared to most other countries, it's still yeah, it is a time warp. But, but now the, the trade embargoes aren't, aren't there anymore. But when I went, like, there wasn't a pair of blue jeans. There wasn't a Coca-Cola. There wasn't one hint of American anything mm-hmm. and the embargoes were such that any product china made if it had even the yellow in the top of this bottle cap came from a flower in burma they couldn't trade it anywhere except for chinese china so nobody in the west would trade with uh, the government from myanmar because it was so corrupt and the embargoes were so strict that they had they were just suffocating themselves because they had no no trade partners it was just them in china basically in thailand um, so it was, it was an eye opening in Bagan and I mean, Mandalay. It, it was incredible. And now it's, it's very much more open now. But when I went there, you couldn't, there was no bank machines. There was no ATMs. There was no way to get money. You traded and the currency was chat. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember that we had to trade our money in, in Yangon and go north for three weeks. And there was no way to get money up there. So you had to bring what you needed. And we went and changed a few hundred dollars. And we got like a literally half a backpack, a big backpacking backpack full of money. And I was like, I feel like a drug lord. And as if these guys, we traded it under the stairs because the bank rate was 
for a dollar, you got like six or seven, or no, sorry, I want to say six thousand or seven thousand chat. And on the black market, you get one hundred and fifty thousand. So we had millions or billions of chat in our backpack, and I was like, "Are we gonna? Are, did they just do this under the stairs? We traded under literally under a shop's front stairs." And we walked down the street and everybody knows that all three of us have backpacks full of money. <laughs> Do they just jump us now and take and go, ha ha, you guys are stupid? Or, Anyways, it was an incredibly eye-opening experience. I felt like we scratched the serial number off a couple of the old uh, Japanese trucks from the 40s and 50s. And I mean, that's the number one mode of transportation. Um, so I understand a lot has changed now in the last five years or so, but... Do you get any of those impressions, feelings? Do you get any stories out of them? Is there any way to communicate with the refugees or do you not have a lot of contact with them or what? Um, so I did spend, I spent some time uh, in one of the refugee camps. Um, I, it's very difficult for foreigners to get in and out of the camps these days. Thailand is really cracking down on that. Um, so I had to work with a separate NGO to get a pass oh, um, to go into the camps and work there. Um, but definitely, I think what I'm starting to figure out was understanding, like, they're trying, many, um, many of the Karen are trying to go back. Um, but the problem is, is that their land has been seized by the government or, um, there's actually like a really big thing happening called like Cocoa Land. And basically the Burmese government sold like a ton of land to China. And now they're creating like a, a huge Chinese only city near the border with Thailand. Jesus. And they're expecting 400,000 Chinese to move there. And like, I don't even know, like, it's insane because the, the Burmese government, they're not even the, the construction people are Chinese. Like the companies are Chinese. The imports are going to be Chinese. But that's been like that for, for ages. I mean, the same as North Korea, right? I mean, yeah. they, that China owns those places and they used to come down from the north mm-hmm. when, when i was there everything was china from the north just coming down and just and now they even say the the Ghanaian guys that have been on um the chinese are everywhere now and they say all the gold miners in ghana are chinese and they just bring them in by the hundreds of thousands yeah. to build the railway from where was it from kenya to the coast or i mean right, it's, right. it's everywhere they just the they bring them in by the hundreds of thousands put them in the kisuksa what dormitories or whatever and they build highways and railways and, and everything in in weeks and months like yeah no problem we'll bring our half our country here and, and make a new country for you so that that part doesn't surprise me that i've been aware of that for a long yeah. time the chinese have been doing that for a long time but yeah it's definitely getting um it's getting to be more and more um i've noticed um, throughout, not just Asia, but like Nate was saying, throughout Africa as well. Yeah. Um, those, the Belt and Road Initiative is really taking away and, and really strengthening China's hold over a lot of countries, especially sure. in the development sector. They have that, they have that long vision, eh? The, yeah. the world, the world will come back and will be the, the leaders once again. You remember, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here before, when we met, um, we met the guy from Queenstown. Yeah, and yeah. he was talking. He was here for some Alps summit. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny they, they, that Queenstown Alps and the Swiss Alps are lumped in with Ulsan Alps. With the Ulsan Alps, but was, <laughs> <laughs> those ones you were climbing there a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, he uh, he was saying that lots of the um, he he found it so crazy that lots of Chinese were moving to New Zealand. 
and marrying into the Maori tribes mm-hmm. so they can get so, so they can get land. Mm-hmm. And it's not again. They're not looking at like how can my generation prosper. They're looking, you know, four generations yeah. down. But this is this is globalization, yeah. man. Yeah. The world's a different place. It's everywhere. I was in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in the middle of the boondock. I mean, this is North North Ontario. I mean, yeah. This is this is nowhere near eight hours from Winnipeg, uh, eighteen from Toronto. There's nothing close to here. We went to the wedding at the old Fort William, and the whole serving staff was Indian. The whole serving staff was Indian. Wait, how did you guys end up here? I mean, from India. Oh, okay. India, yeah. Indian. How did you guys end up in, in Thunder Bay? But I just left Sault Ste. Marie, which is another, another out there place. And I was at the airport and it said, the guy I was sitting at a desk that said Sioux College. And he also looked Indian. So I went and talked to him. And he said, yeah. He said, because I was asking him to inquire about our college to see if we can work out an exchange or something. And he said, yes, yes. We, you know, we're more than welcome. We'd love to welcome Korean students. And we have Indian students coming all the time. And he said, you know, the government has a program now where they come and study for two years. And it it uh, works towards their green card or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they can apply for residency or citizenship twice as fast if they go through this college program in a small town, Ontario town. So... Yeah, it was, you know, it used to be uncommon, but, but now, man, like I think of Thunder Bay and all my friends who have left and stuff, and now the, the Indians and the Filipinos and I'm, they're everywhere now. This is globalization, man. It's not a, nothing's untouchable anymore. You can get anywhere. That's good. I love these lines. I love it. I think it's awesome. The, I was going to ask you though, with your political situation at home, Seeing, I mean, I, I can guess your point of view already, but seeing the people and talking to the people, and I always can't believe when I see the. Remember when the guy tried swimming across the river with his daughter and died? Oh, with a daughter in his shirt. Yeah, the daughter yeah. was in his shirt. And and I just those things like I I worked in the refugee camps in Ghana mm-hmm. with the Liberians, and I was in them in Togo and Benin. So I, I've also have some experience in those camps, and we were fifteen thousand from thirteen or fourteen countries, all kinds of political refugee, all kinds of refugees. And I heard horrible, horrible stories of being hung by a left foot and a right hand for a day. And tomorrow is the left hand and the right foot and tortured. And I, I've heard so many crazy stories from the refugees. And to think that these guys walk thousands of miles because they want to do something bad to the Americans or the Americas, it just blows my mind that people can be so ignorant. And when you see them, if, you, if their place was safe and, and, and good to go back, they'd go back tomorrow. But yeah, but dude, if you listen, it's the same thing. It's another case of umurangeguri. If you if you sit there and watch the same news broadcast every sure, day, sure, sure. that shit's getting pumped in your head. It's the same as North Korea thinking that they're the but, they're the, the the global leaders in, <laughs> in everything. Yeah. But here's the same thing. They have the Yemenis in Jejudo, and some of my women's classes think, oh, you know, we don't want them here. We don't. And I, they said they're rich. They flew to here. I said, but do you think this was their first choice to fly yeah. to? Jejudo, South Korea, where they don't speak the language, they don't know the religion, nothing? Yeah. Nobody would want, it's the only place in a certain amount of countries where they're allowed to come and apply freely for refugee status. And you don't think they looked at the numbers that it's only like two refugees every five years, you know, are, are granted citizenship here? So, but too, I think the, maybe everyone's first, first thought when you think refugee, it's like, 
poor, homeless, or, or whatever. But I mean, these are doctors and lawyers and everybody. No one's no one's just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you're gonna avoid. Don't no. don't bomb the dental clinic. But the thing is, the thing is, when when the doctors and lawyers and dentists become refugees, they also have the means to assimilate a lot easier in their new countries, which is what I found in Ghana when the war broke out in the Ivory Coast. Lots of those guys were coming back over. And, and heading back to Togo, Benin, but they'd stop, and if they could find a niche in Ghana, boom, they could start their own business, whatever they, you know, they were traveling with some money or whatever. But when you're poor, and you, I mean, it's a whole other ball game. But seeing the guys you saw in in Thailand, um, and what is it like with your social network at home, or the, your your students and and the the colleagues that you have at home? Can you can you understand their point of views? Are they similar to yours? Or are they Again, that kind of green, naive, frog in the well kind yeah. of. I think um, being in D.C., I'm very lucky because D.C. is very liberal and really like um, kind of goes along with my kind of political views in terms of um, having compassion for people from other countries and, hmm. you know, understanding the plight of like, you know, nobody wants to you know give up their entire life and move to a country where like especially if they've got a job and they've got a business and they've unless it's us coming to korea (laughs) (laughs) right but it's not you know it's a choice that we made absolutely but i think like when you have a country where you know war is broken out and and you know i think as a woman in america like it's getting a lot scarier to be there and you know i want to know that i have a place to go i mean Look at Korea. Like, Korea just legalized abortion two weeks ago. And in America, we're still fighting over whether a woman has a right to choose or whether, you know, birth control is, is uh, you know, covered or, you know, whether I get to decide my birthing plan or not, you know? Um, and it's wild. And, and I would like to know that if something ever happened or I ever felt unsafe, like, I would have somewhere to go or I would have, you know, I would be able to go to another place. And I think a lot of people don't think that way they don't they can't put the shoe on the other foot and be like if something were to happen today like where am i going where would i go right where's the fallout shelter right exactly and and so when people are so narrow-minded about immigrants coming and and i i wrote about syrian refugees in um the states and i was published earlier this year for and i was really excited it's my first publication Good for you. but um one of the stats in there is that 80 percent of people um, 80% of Syrian refugees who come, they are, they have access to job training and they're opening their own businesses. They're helping the economy. They're not taking away people's jobs. Right. They're creating new ones. It's like the, I mean, our grandparents who, our grandparents who came over sure, exactly. to, to Canada or even, uh, my friend's parents from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They showed up, man. They, they sit down. They, they, they plant roots. They start their own businesses. They do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so I think uh, people get the idea that, like, you know, oh, they're from Syria, that's a war-torn country, like, yeah. they're all terrorists. And obviously, like, that's not true. That just That's why they're leaving. Isn't. That's why they're leaving. Yeah. Right. To get away from those people. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's hard because as an American, I know that my government has started some of these wars or my government is behind some of these things and and not that they necessarily do it intentionally but now we have these consequences unintended consequences that we have to deal with and we have people that are you know displaced internally or externally this year we continually each year now have the biggest number of refugees in the world like record numbers every year it gets bigger and bigger and Mm. bigger and that should be alarming to everyone Mm. 
Like, there shouldn't be anyone sitting there thinking, oh, well, this number is fine. Like, everything is okay. There are people being displaced in all corners of the world. It is not sure. just one place. It's not just the Middle East. Wait till global know? warming kicks in. There's, uh, <laughs> till, yeah. till it really kicks in. And right. Like and, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. on Monday, I start my environmental security class and I'm so interested to see what that's going to look like and, and what I'm going to learn there because that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, I work in conflict resolution and the biggest driver of conflict these days is like, coming up in the next decade is mm. climate change. Yeah. F- food insecurity, um, the war over water. Is the science in on that yet? <laughs> yes, you know it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Trump uh, told me it's not. No. <laughs> Too far. Listen, you, you said something about being safe in America or, or you want to have a safe place to go. Yeah. Do you, where, where are, do you feel more unsafe? Abroad and traveling or at home? Where do you feel more unsafe? Yeah, where, where do you feel more comfortable? Traveling abroad or at home? I think the perspective that I've always carried is that if it can, like, it can happen at home, it can happen abroad. Like, I, I've been traveling all of my 20s. There's mass shootings in Korea. Right. Everywhere. I mean, you know, there's not going to be mass shootings in Korea, but like, I have definitely had my fair share of incidents in Korea as well. Like, yeah. Korea's not perfect. There's nowhere is perfect. Right. But Absolutely. like, what it comes down to is your mindset. And if you go out and think like the world is unsafe, you're going to stick to where you are. And there's a very good chance if you're from America, you might be caught in a mass shooting or you might even as simple as like a car crash or pedestrian accident. Like these are all things that can happen anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. So for me, I would much rather be out and traveling and, you know, testing my limits and, and experiencing new things than I would be sitting at home Mm. hoping that like, you know, I don't get run over by a car tomorrow. Yeah. Since since you've been traveling, um, has there ever been a, a very dangerous situation that you've been uh, that you've been in? I just when you talked about Thailand, it popped in my head. Uh, when me and Nate were there, we met uh, we met a German guy who. Do you remember that? Listen, he he was in a cab, and the cab driver was trying to sell him women, and the guy said, "I'm not." Again, this guy was learning most of his English and his slang from movies. So he kept saying, man, I don't want your bitches. I don't want your bitches. And he thought this is just a, a, a name to, to call women or whatever. It was, it was like a, a problem with language, obviously. So like, I don't want your bitches. Let me out. And the hotel we were staying at was on both sides of the road. So the cab driver let him out. And he walked to the wrong side. And he's like, oh, my, uh, my hotel's on the other side. So he walked back. And, you know, he walked back across the road. And he's like, sorry, man, I got to get my money. And the cab driver thought he was trying to ditch, like not not pay for it. Yeah. He said he went into the hotel. He came back out. There were guys waiting for him. So he's telling us a story. We're we're all sitting down, you know, our hands are under the table, and he's like, "Man, then the the they grabbed me and everything happened so fast." He goes, "But I looked over. And this he was he's a pro baseball player in uh, in Germany. He was and one guy grabbed my hand and pinned it down on the car, and." The other guy came in with an axe and tried to chop his hand off. And we went, come on. Are you kidding? He goes, man, I just moved it out of the way. And it hit the heel of his palm. And we went, come. And he showed us, man. He had a, he gross, had a gash. Gross gash. They tried to cut his hand off. Oh, my gosh. For, for, I mean, for, for dodging. How much could it? An honest could, mistake, a drunken mistake, whatever. Yeah. You, could, you could drive around Samui. I think he Samui. was drunk that night, too. You could drive around Samui 400 times in a night, and it would cost you $6. Yeah. It was... Oh, it was so crazy. Just to think about how 
I mean, how uh, a fully grown, uh, he was a, he was a huge dude, like could totally yeah, handle big himself. Strong guy. Big, strong guy. Um, and, uh, you know, thinking how I would handle myself in a, in a dangerous situation. I wonder if I was female, how much more dangerous it would feel or how much more cautious you kind of, mm-hmm. you have to be. Do you take special precautions or, I mean, um, and back to my original question as well, what's the, the most dangerous situation that you've been in and um, how did you handle it? <laughs> I think as women, we do tend to take more precautions in general. And, like, I know the the feminist in me wants to say, like, oh, no, like, everyone is a target, which everyone is a target. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, 100%. But, like, for sure, like, women definitely have to take more precaution. Mm. And that's not just traveling. Mm. That's literally everyday life. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is me walking my dog at night yeah. in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, yeah, yeah. you know? That's, you know, me taking the bus late at night or even in broad daylight these days. Mm. That's me rejecting a guy at a bar and thinking, like, maybe he's going to murder me later, yeah. you know? Um, so it's not always just traveling. But I think when you travel, especially as a solo female traveler, um, which is my preference, um, I think you just take the precautions that you can and you kind of... For me, I trust my gut a lot. Like, there was a situation in um, Thailand. It was not even dangerous, like, but it could it could have been, yeah. you know? And and so I got off the, the night bus, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, like, rural. We barely have streetlights. Oh, I hate those. Right, and so I'm like, okay, I got to walk back to my house. No big deal. I've got my backpack on. I'm just walking down the highway because I'm literally, like, the... You, they drop you off at the highway and you just like get off on the side of the road and like you're supposed to go but the route that I was gonna take was pitch black so I was like I have to go on main roads yeah. so I'm walking down the highway like no big deal and all of a sudden like these dogs come and they're like following me and barking at me and there's a pack of like five of them and I'm I'm like I love dogs but like oh god like yeah. what if they eat me like I don't know what I'm supposed to do so I'm walking and I guess um, a guy in a motorbike saw me like these dogs like following after me um, and he stopped and he's like, come on, come on. And like, I had, I had my map pulled up. Yeah. So I just kind of pointed to where I wanted to go on the map. Like it's just right up the highway, you know, where I could turn off and get to my house. So he's like, okay, okay, okay. He's like this old man. He's a fisherman. He's got his like dead fish in his net, you know, just hanging off the side. And I was like, all right, well, at least it's a motorbike. Like in my, in my gut instinct was like, okay, this guy has stopped. I didn't flag him down. Yeah. He stopped. He clearly wants to help me. We don't speak the same language, but I'm on a motorbike. At the end of the day, if he just tries to kidnap me or we keep going, I just, like, roll out and hope for the best, you know? Like, I got travel insurance. It'll be fine. Better than getting Right, exactly. But everything worked out great, and he dropped me off where I was supposed to be, and I said, thank you. And he was like, yeah, good, good, go, go. And, like, it worked out great, and and I think that's the thing is you really have to – trust your instinct and not everyone has great instinct and i think it comes with experience too like uh, thailand is like you know i'm in my late 20s and i started traveling in my early 20s um you can can get that set as i as i get older again not still still pretty green i think but as you uh (laughs) what are you laughing (laughs) (laughs) i'm just i'm just listening and thinking of all my experiences and how many places i've been and i I think you're 100 right man but you get that i i think what I'm getting better at is trusting my, or like, uh, just being able to judge, being able to yeah. judge people. When you're around someone, man, sometimes you get that, uh, an uneasy feeling mm-hmm. or like, eh, you know, there's something not, not right about this person. Probably shouldn't trust them. And I'm getting better at, at recognizing and, and listening to that. I've, I've been in so many of those crazy situations, especially North Africa and, and Sub-Saharan Africa yeah. and, and all over Asia and South America. And it is, you got to trust your gut and, I think of how many times really crazy stuff could have happened and it didn't just because 
you just go the way you feel you're supposed to go yeah. or do what you're there is no right or wrong nobody can tell you we were up in in uh in niger right after the civil war ended and it had been closed for like 12 years to outsiders there was nobody there to guide you or tell you or or translate for you you just had to do what you thought was best and that's why we went there for an adventure and uh yeah, you just got to trust your gut, man. I, I fully believe that. And I think, like, that's how you get some of your best stories. Like, I have great travel stories just because, like, you know. Throw caution to the wind. You know, yeah, like, shit happens. But that's the best part of traveling. And um, I was actually, it reminds me, of, I was just in, uh, in Bangkok before I flew out. And I was visiting a friend. And she had a friend visiting from America who has, she just got her passport. She's never been on a plane. She's never been anywhere. And, like, poor thing is deathly ill. Like, she's got the worst, like, traveler's diarrhea, and she's devastated. She's miserable. Like, she's like, I'm she had that Mongolian again. sauce, man. I know, and I'm just like, girl, like, we've all been there, first of all. I was like, this is not, I was like, I had a bout with a parasite in the jungle, you know, just a few weeks ago. And, like, it passes. You yeah. get through it. It's no big deal. I've been sick way worse than this. You're going to get through it, and you're going to be just fine, and you're going to have all these great stories because of it. Like, yeah. Like things happen, and oh. when I when I got to Ghana, I was terrified of malaria, and I'd got poked like a pin cushion with every other inoculation possible before I went. Malaria, there isn't, so I was on, uh, I was on In larium or chloroquine or something. And anyways, and all the Peace Corps guys were there, and they're like, "Dude, sell your sell your anti-malarials to other guys because they're really expensive." Yeah. And just wait until you get malaria, and then just take the pills. They're like five cents each. And then, sure enough, now. A five-time vet of malaria, I would say the same thing. Screw, yeah. screw anti-malarials. Unless you're going one one week before your wedding, fine, take them. <laughs> but otherwise, I would say forget it, man. They're they're not worth it. Um, but yeah, the experience and uh, and the more you do it, the more you trust yourself and you you build up that instinct and and yeah, you know, good I judgment. Have, man, traveling outside of your or your hometown diarrhea should just be assumed right <laughs> you know i i have a friend a korean friend who just spent a year in america and she came back and she's like oh i've been feeling so sick like my stomach's terrible and i'm like girl that's because you're not used to all this spicy food again yeah. it's gonna be fine yeah. yeah although it hasn't been fine for the last 15 <laughs> years but <laughs> so you said the first first four years are like, we're, we're pouring soft serve for, right? for like, years, yeah. And then it's such a milestone when you get to solid again, you know? You're like, wow, I've really made it. Like, I mean, well, Brian, Brian said when he came back and he's like, man, my my gas in Canada is just absolutely toxic. Oh. And I was I was back there. It wasn't two days. And all of a sudden, you're back to very hard bowels again. And, oh, my God, I could knock out a soccer stadium with a fart. <laughs> Yeah. And don't like if my sister-in-law or my brothers and if they're listening they'll go you're but I don't have gas like that in Korea man. Yeah. It's absolutely in the I just think the food must be absolutely toxic to do yeah. that to me. No but I, I, I wasn't even in the stadium. It's, it's just uh it's just a change in change of diet. Oh from my kimchi, god. Which you would assume would, would produce a worse a worse <laughs> no smell. Way, like, no way. Good lord. You have um, to eat kimchi 3 times a day or else you're not healthy. Don't you know that? Well, I don't know but whatever I was eating at home was not <laughs> whatever I was eating at home is not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> There's that new study that they say like kimchi is the superfood for making hair grow. Bullshit. I just that someone just bullshit. asked me if I saw that for helping <laughs> yeah, for helping bald people. Yeah. I, someone new, just told me but I haven't seen it yet, but uh, we'll link it to the podcast later. <laughs> yeah. Any of you I any of you guys going bald at twenty six. Yeah. Not much time left here. No, I got I got one more. Looking at your Instagram, uh knowing you from from helping out with We Hope. Uh, talking with you now, we see you're 
you're extremely positive in all aspects of life. You're very optimistic. Uh, traveling, being abroad can be strenuous and challenging and, and working in Korea. I mean, you, oh, you were epic program, eh? Not, yeah. not so much the Hagwon grind, but work, school, everything can get, uh, can get challenging. What's your secret to staying so, so positive, so optimistic? Uh, well, I think, first of all, kimchi. Like, okay. <laughs> right, three times a day. Makes so you healthy. Yeah. Everything's perfect. You'll have a full head of hair as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I mean, shout out to my parents. Like my parents are fantastic. They're wonderful. They raised me and my brother in such a great way. Like my parents are not big travelers, but they are huge supporters of whatever I've done. And, um, you know, I think that helps so much is coming from a positive environment where my parents are like, of course you can do it. They never told me, no, you can't. They were like, if you want to do it, you go for it. It's going to be great. My parents came here to Korea after my first year and they were like, okay, we get it. We know why you want to stay here. We know why you love it. Like Mm. we've met your friends. We know your relationships here are fantastic. Mm -hmm. The life that you've built here is wonderful. So they've been so supportive. They supported me coming back for a visit. They were so excited to say hi to everyone. Um, So I think it really starts at childhood and just being like, you know, surrounded by people who maintain a positive attitude. And my parents are very positive. Um, But I think it's also just, it's, it's the idea that, you know, so what? Something bad happens, so what? It's not the end of the world. Unless you're like lying in a casket, like life goes on. Yeah. You know? And there's and there's always always somebody worse off. Right. No matter no matter what happens, even the worst thing you can think of, there's people that are always worse off. That that's what I've learned. You got yeah. I can't complain. It's, there's it's the so many people worse off. But the the secret to a to a miserable, terrible life is comparing up. And you know what? Yeah. You can compare up as much as you want. And the pinnacle for you might be like a Bill Gates. Like, oh, you got a billion dollars. You can do it. Listen, you keep looking up. There's yeah. always someone better. But, I mean, you don't want to look down and be like, oh, I'm better than you. But like you said, comparing, kind of comparing down or sideways and or just maybe appreciation right. for, for what it you have. It really is. is. It's the appreciation yeah. for like the blessings. And I yeah. know that I'm really lucky to have been able to travel so much. And I know sure, that like absolutely. the same... Uh, luxuries have not been afforded to all of my friends in the states but like i you know you don't hold that over people you you know everyone has a means to their end and um that's just the way it is and and i think like if anyone's out there listening and they're trying to move abroad like just don't come here and expect it's going to be anything like don't have any expectations just come and see how it goes and And that's the hardest part though right yeah right because you preconceived notions no expectations but right i mean it worked in my advantage i really knew nothing about korea i knew nothing about k-pop i I showed up and i was just like you know what this is this country wants me like i have a job i'm gonna see how it goes and like within 10 minutes i was having the time of my life like i got off the plane and i was like i had been to busan and i was like hanging out with friends and and you know in a lot of ways korea forces you to make friends because you're all in a similar situation absolutely and and i think like I miss that. <laughs> yeah. I miss that a lot. Like, well, everyone's everyone's maybe. enduring that. That you could you could say it's almost like uh, not. Obviously, it's a more extreme example, but guys who go to war together. Yeah. You know, they're they're it's enduring. They're enduring that struggle together, yeah. and you're here going, "Damn it! There's no Costco. Where's my cheese? Oh, yeah. oh, I really miss this." And you can. It's something everyone can. I think that's what traveling does, right? It forces it you out of your comfort zone, and and certain regions a little bit more or a little bit less, yeah. but. You're forced to do things that you're not. I mean, look at our friends. Our friends are Jeff, who's 60, and and all the way down to Willie, who was who was 23 or something when he was here. I mean, even when you came, you were young. So that's. I mean, for me in Canada, my friends don't 
you know, range from 20 to 60. Right. And, and just being out of my comfort zone and, you know, I would hang out with the same kind of, you know, like-minded hockey player, whatever kind of guys at home. And here I'm, I hang, not hang out, but I, I socialize with everybody and anybody because right. uh, now I appreciate that. And I, I kind of crave that to meet someone different and not like me because they have different things to talk about and, and to learn from. Right. So. I mean, honestly, traveling has been the biggest network builder for me. Like, sure. Uh, you know, anytime I go somewhere, I stay in a hostel, I meet people, and you meet people from all different walks of life doing and all kinds of things. And everyone's cool. Right, like everyone's digital cool. nomads are doing this thing or that thing. I, I met a guy in London at a hostel, and then we met up again in Paris, and he runs Make School, which is like changing the face of how people learn how to code. It's become like its own kind of university. Mm. So, like, you make connections like that, and they become your lifelong friends, and you're commiserating, but you're also, you know, building your network. And I like, uh, uh, you know, from traveling, you realize that your your life isn't destined to be a, a nine to five desk job. You, you see, yes. you go abroad, and you're like, "Well, I can do that." Oh, I you mean I don't have to wake up, but you know, I don't need a Sunday night blues where you're like, "Oh, I gotta go to work." Oh, I gotta endure. No, you can work two to nine. That's <laughs> it. That is a hundred percent it, though. Yeah. Like. I went in for, we have to go in and have a career conversation with the director of our program. And he's like, well, these are the things you're interested in, so you should look at think tanks. And I was like, look, uh, the idea of working in office makes me want to die. Yeah. So I think we need to start thinking outside of the box as to where I'm going to fit. Yeah. And he was like, oh my God, <laughs> what are you doing here? But it is, it's recognizing, you know, whether that's the life you want to live or not. For me, like, I'm, I'm interested in so many different things and, and I don't want to, if I had to wear a suit every day, I would be miserable. Yeah. Like, I want to express myself through my clothing. I want to, you know, be out and about. I want to make human connections. And so, when you enough. know, yeah, when you know what you want, you have to, like, go out and get it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I, I like, more living here has, has taught me that, everything's uh it's not you're born into the into this life and you, you should i don't know what i'm trying to say here like anything's possible you don't get living, stuck. living living here yeah. i i feel there's no get out of the well there's yeah. zero yeah but right. the well. hey well done get, all you have to do is jump up and you're yeah. good that's a that's the next tattoo get out of the well. <laughs> yeah. okay a couple minutes here sure i climbed out i don't know what did you you might think you missed something the most while you were away, but now that you're back, what did you miss the most? Or what did you realize you missed the most? I miss my friendships. I miss yeah. the relationships that I built here, not just with foreigners, but with Koreans. Um, a lot of my friends that I came back to see are Koreans who make the, you know, this is their life. And they were part of my everyday. And it's harder and harder to see them. But, you know, technology is incredible. We FaceTime. Sure. It's great. Um, I've kept in touch. So just having, like, a solid group of, like, especially girls, like, a girl group where, like, we can go out and we're not, like, worried about like getting married or anything we're just like having fun and living our best life i miss that and it's so hard to make friends as an adult yeah <laughs> korea helps so much yeah no okay. and and the last one food i know you're a bit of a foodie there and, and you you liked a lot of different stuff what did you what have you indulged in coming back this time what would you recommend to some of the listeners out there i had a list and i took up everything <laughs> on my list i sent it to my 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 best friend, my best Korean friend, Hyunjoo, I sent her a list and I was like, girl, these are all the things I want to eat while I'm here. First thing we checked off was shabu shabu, 100%, like, hot pot is nothing to shabu shabu, yeah. like, 
Oh my god, it's like five meals in one. Yeah. You need to have it. Same with dakalbi. Yeah. Like, there's a particular place in Hwabongdong that's like the best dakalbi place, I swear. It's a chain, but the best location yeah. is Hwabong. I couldn't even tell you what the name is, but I know it's like the guy with the big head and the little body, yeah, okay. the logo. That's my place. That's my place. And like, that's also like three meals in one. But honestly, like, I miss Korean food so much. I like those leveled meals, eh? I do, yeah. right? You know, you've got like some, you've got like an appetizer kind of, and then you start to eat a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you like you're like oh bokeum pop Tuesday oh and then like all of a sudden you've got like a five different meals I feel like, like it's three entrees not, it not is. appetizer <laughs> it's just so good and like of course like barbecue you miss barbecue and like the good barbecue and just like food here is such a like a friend experience yeah you know like you it's a communal table and like the Social, yeah. yeah it really is and it's not that it isn't in america it's just different yeah. um and because you're not sharing your saliva with everybody <laughs> <laughs> but i love it i love that aspect of it you know like oh you're sick now i'll be sick next week <laughs> but i mean some of my closest friends in washington dc are expats from korea yeah. like like, they lived in Korea with me and then moved to Washington, D.C. Sharing and we, soup in the office. We've got our little, yeah, we've got our little tight-knit group, and we're like, let's do a Noribong night, and, cool. and let's get some soju, and, you know, so the relationships that you make here really do last a lifetime. Absolutely. Last one before we go. To anybody who might be listening and thinking about coming over, how was the epic program for you? I know you, you came over in that, and you seem to go along, get along well with it and, and fit in well. Um, what would you give advice or how would you advise someone to go with the epic program what yeah how it worked for you or i think what's great about epic is that if you have no teaching experience or you've never been a teacher before they give you some training mm. like you show up for a hogwan and they're like okay well you're teaching this class tomorrow Me. right yeah. you know i mean not that i didn't have to to teach right away when i showed up with epic because i i taught in middle and high school um which uh sadly no longer exists in ulsan as of this year um, only elementary school um and almost all of korea these days they're scaling back um so i will say that the program's getting more competitive in terms of who they're hiring but that shouldn't stop anyone from coming like the epic program's great you definitely end up in places where you get a chance to meet other people and kind of connect with them before you even end up in your city so i think that kind of helps build your social network right away um but you know there are some benefits to being in hagwon too like some are better than others do your research if you do decide to go the hagwon route just make sure you're talking to the previous um, the previous previous teachers and reading reviews and making sure that you understand what you're walking into Mm -hmm. um and don't get taken advantage of salary wise if you're hagwon because that's what i've learned recently that what a lot of hagwon owners do is they they're getting new people to Korea and char- and like paying them way less. Or the, and, or the same as 2007. Right, uh, you know, like it's really, really hard. And so then from there, it's hard for teachers who have been here for a while to get raises and, you know, to find companies that are willing to pay them the salary that you definitely deserve. So know your worth yeah. um, because Hagwon is hard work. Epic is hard work. I mean, your lesson planning, it's way harder than Jet. Yeah. Boo Jet, like... <laughs> Or which oh, that's a jet the Japanese Japan program. Oh, Japanese like, when you're like a teacher's aide in Jet. Like I, I was, I know friends who went to Jet, and it's way more competitive than Korea. But like in Korea, I was writing lesson plans. Jet teachers have never done that. They just like repeat after me, you know. So definitely do your research about what program is going to work best for you. But like, don't hesitate. Just do it. Like, I mean, it's one year of your life. If anything, it's not that bad. My mom said before I left, she's like, you can always come back. Whatever. Like, it's a contract, but it's not that serious. Like, 
if you're miserable, come back. But I had the time of my life. I stayed for three years. So. Fantastic. <laughs> and back again. Yeah. I, my friends are all like, when you, when, when's the next trip? When are you coming back? And I was like, guys, you know. Is it, is it uh, within 10-year plan, would you ever consider coming back here to, to work as a teacher or um, not would, as a teacher you? but like maybe in, in like capacity. at university like if I were teaching in international relations or something like I would do an old son uni job I think I would cool because um, my friends are here but um, I don't know well we're just gonna have to wait and see play, what happens play it by ear <laughs> exactly awesome, awesome well anyways listen thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your uh, of your tight, busy, tight schedule, <laughs> your tight schedule. Yeah. heading to Seoul right we, now and yeah. out tomorrow. So we manage, we manage really to, appreciate uh, it. to overlap Nate's Nate's coming back and your yeah, twenty four hour overlap. I'm yeah. so glad that it worked out. Like I was really hoping to reconnect with you guys. So. Awesome, awesome. Well, next time we'll have to go for a drink. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Uh, all right, guys. We'll see you next time. Hope you enjoyed. Goodbye.